0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat, I'm Brad White, happy to have you with us today, and happy to have these guys with me as well. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Philip. Hi, Brad. Dustin. Good morning. Well, we're excited to visit with you today. We've got several great topics as we come into fall here. We're talking about bull management and focus on breeding bulls. What do we do with them as they go through the fall? Also, we'll talk a little bit about financial planning. Dustin's got some updates with us. I know that's at the forefront of everybody's mind. And then Philip's going to talk to us about some different winter grazing techniques. What are some of our options as we try to make sure that hay that we have lasts all the way through the winter and and make as good a use of our resources as we can. Before we get into the those topics I have a question for you guys this morning and usually I don't I don't make these really serious but this is more of a serious question so prepare to put some thought into it just imagine you're out to dinner and you've ordered a ribeye medium rare you're ready to eat and you decided forget the baked potato I'm going to go with fries what kind of fries do you want to have is it going to be the thick steak fries is it going to be thin fries? you can have fries from anywhere with your steak
1: now, I have actually thought about this before. See, and I, I, I'm glad
0: you prepared for yeah. today.
1: So, when you have steak, you have to have the thick steak fries. You can't have just regular, you know, thin fries. That's for hamburgers and other things. But if you're going to have steak, you got to have this closer to a real baked potato because it's larger. What a, it's the only way you can go. What about sweet potato fries? Oh, I like, I like sweet potato fries anytime,
2: anyway. No, you threw a, you could just see him thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you it, it's like, wait a second, I never thought about that. Yeah.
0: Philip, what's yours?
3: I don't know. I, I mean, I like steak fries, and depends if they've got sweet potato fries, kind of what mood I'm in. Crinkle cut fries, but for me
0: is,
2: it's yes. every meal, if I could have a crinkle cut fry, that's it's it.
0: Dustin nailed it. He got the right answer. There was only one right answer. I told you.
2: (laughs) I I
1: love my crinkle cut fries, but those are hamburgers. I mean, everything's got its place, you know.
0: No, not crinkle cut fries. You'd okay. have those. You can't name a food you couldn't have those with. Uh, okay. So, oh. <laughs> ex- <laughs> Excellent. So let's let's talk bulls. So at this time of year, and in a spring calving herd, the bull's been out. He's been out all summer. Let's say we've weaned calves. We don't have a fall calving herd. So he is good until spring and I wanted to ask you guys as they come off pasture what should I think about on that bull and there's several aspects both health nutrition some of the other things I may want to do management wise and I want to start with the health aspects so Bob as that bull comes off what am I looking for is there anything I should assess before I leave him for the winter
1: yeah, I think there's a few just kind of basic fall things that are both cows and bulls and then bull specific. For bulls, one of the things that I'm most concerned about is just feet and legs, soundness, lameness, those issues, in that he's been out covering a lot of miles on some pretty rough pasture. Uh, they're a big, heavy animal. Think, you know, offensive lineman type of a thing. They're a big, heavy animal. And one of the main reasons that we cull bulls is because of feet and leg problems and lameness. So a good exam now, and we're, we're several months away from actually needing to be, that breeding athlete that we're going to have him be in the spring. So really check out his feet and legs. If there's any problems, have bring your veterinarian in and, and take care of those issues now so that uh, he's ready for the fall. And you
0: say feet and legs. For the spring. I, am I just watching him walk around or am I checking out his hooves or what, what do you want me to look okay, for? great. Watch him walk, trying
1: to pick up any signs of lameness, you know, short stride, those types of things. And or just really take a look at those feet, you know, so I'm looking for you know, claws that have gotten a little bit long, any swelling, anything associated with, you know, some possible damage to that foot. So start at the ground, start, you know, looking at the feet, go up through the hock and, and just watch him walk. Now, one of the problems is if he's lame in both legs, it's harder to pick up than if he's lame in one leg, which sounds a little bit odd because two legs would be twice as bad. But one of the things we, we really look for is, you know, differences in stride length and things like that. And if, both legs are involved, it's actually harder to pick up. So really good observational skills. And I usually just start start at the hooves and then move up the leg and also just walk, watch the
0: way they walk. But they'll move slower if they're lame in both legs. And and that can be due to a variety of things. So you want to watch the way they walk, check out the feet and legs, but I'm also thinking about their nutrition. So Philip, what what are the thoughts relative to preparing this bull? Because I don't really need him to work again until the spring.
3: Well, so we kind of think about different situations or scenarios when it comes to that. You know, This year, particularly with drought in a lot of places and summer pastures were short, those bulls may not have gotten back in good condition a normal summer with a spring calving herd that bull is probably going to be able to get himself back in decent condition with late summer forage after the breeding breeding season is really over and he's not chasing cows as much anymore so if that's the situation you're in that part of the country where you've had good forage he's probably in good condition and you're just worried about maintaining so it's just a little protein supplement if the forage quality is low you got a dry brown forage that he's grazing or if you're in a dry part of the country and he's coming off with body condition score of five or less then you need to think about some energy supplement to get him back in condition for next year and especially if your hay quality because of the
0: drought is poor he's going to need some some supplements to get him back in condition no different than what we talk- talked about with the cows right if i have more days if he's really thin i might want to start putting some of that weight on him now but it leads right into my next question which is housing arrangements so if i'm thinking about housing arrangements for my bull and i'm going to break this into two parts one can i just leave him with the cows that would be a lot easier than separating him any problems with that my preference is to not do that and there's several reasons from a
1: why not and and it's not a hill to die on preference because I, especially for, you know, a small producer and you're, you're limited on number of, of paddocks and pens that you have, it's not all bad to leave the bull because the nutritional, what, what we're providing to the cows is usually adequate for the bulls. And so there's, there's not a reason to separate them from a feeding level standpoint. I I'd like that bull to be away from cows to rest. I, I know if they're, all preg- well, if, if they're all pregnant, well, it's my preference. It's <laughs> a moderately strong preference in that and, and, the, and, and you ask
0: why it's Philip Philip you're going to have to weigh in here now, because he's so, well, Bob's saying I'm saying leave him with the cows and Bob's saying
3: take him out Philip but they're well I will say but they're not all pregnant if we had 100% pregnancy we'd be doing awesome in the beef industry
0: but, so but they're all pregnant after preg check and culling yeah if you've if you've called or if you're going to call. Yes. And if they're not all pregnant and you were keeping those open cows, he can rebreed them and you can sell them as a pregnant (laughs) (laughs) cow. Philip is agreeing with me, Bob. I don't think so. (laughs) And,
1: And, you know, part of it has to do with I really like to be able to kind of pay some attention to those bulls, particularly a little bit later in the winter as we're moving into the spring. At that time, you know, maybe at that point, the it is really important to make sure that their housing is good, that they're protected from weather. Uh, so I I prefer to keep them separate, but I understand it, particularly with a smaller producer. I don't think it's horrible to leave the bulls in with the cows after the cows have been preg checked, but I think I, I just don't like
3: it. As much. I think it depends. I think it's situational from a nutrition standpoint, depending on where your cows are at body condition score wise, where your bulls are at body condition score wise and what you need to feed them. And so during this time of year, if, if they're not in good body condition score and you've got to feed the cows a little bit more or the bulls a little bit more, then you may want to separate them. And then I think especially once you get into next spring or, or I'll say late winter, before calving season, you I, you definitely want to separate them, number one, from the reproductive standpoint, but also from a nutrition standpoint because you're going to need to start supplementing those lactating cows a lot more um, and that bull doesn't need that at that point, you're going to just kind of make him fat. And
0: so, um, leading up to the breeding season and let's. I'm good. I'm good with separating them right before the breeding season, but, and, and Bob, you made some good points, Phillip's talking about the nutrition side, but then also the ease of caretaking in a smaller herd makes sense. What about a bigger herd where I've got multiple bulls? Do I, do I co house those bulls? Do I put them together? Do I try to keep them by themselves? How do, how do you handle that? I do like to co-house
1: bulls together because there's always a a social uh, interaction among a group of bulls. One will be the most dominant and they need to figure out that dominance hierarchy and and be able to stick with it because I don't want them trying to establish the pecking order uh, at the start of the breeding season. So all winter long I like them to get to know each other and they're comfortable with that group of bulls and so I I (coughs) would house them together. Now you might do some, you know, depending on, again, age, body condition, those types of things, particularly a large ranch that's going to have a relatively large bull battery. They might have a couple of groups kind of being fed something a little bit different or a little bit different age bulls, those types of things. Group housing, certainly no, nece- no necessity to do single bull housing.
0: So, and, and if anything happens between them, you've got time to sort it out between now and breeding season. Exactly. So, so this is a good time. If you're going to put them together, put them together now let them let them go through but figure figure those things out because i think philip's point on the nutrition takes a little more time and i don't want to be 30 days from the breeding season and go oh gosh the bull is really thin because i can't get that way back on
1: and and we can start looking ahead you know typically i mean there's some bull sales this fall coming up but then a lot of bull sales in the late winter early spring And same thing again, I'm going to want those bulls to acclimate with the feed of the new operation as well as the bulls that are currently already on that operation.
0: Absolutely. Great points on bull management, guys. And I'm going to shift gears and and talk about something that's been in the news a lot recently as we talk about inflation, we talk about changes in prices of goods. Prices of feed that we purchase, prices of cattle. Dustin, I want to turn to you and say, what what are some of the things that I should be thinking about? And and maybe specifically, many of us have an operating note of some sort. And t- two things have happened: one, the cost of that's gone up with the inflation, and two,
2: the operating note doesn't go as far as it did a few years ago. No, that's correct, Brad. Uh, you know, we've you've seen the news every month. Seems like the feds are. Uh, raising the interest rates. So the, the operating note, the interest rates are becoming more expensive As you noted. So that's an expense in itself. But then you also note all the feed and your land, various inputs are all going up as well. So as you start to think about planning for next year, your operating notes, you might want to visit with your banker because those, you, you mean, you're going to have to potentially borrow more to maintain that same level but it's also going to become more expensive even to borrow borrow even more money
0: so probably needs some way to kind of plan that out to figure out what what are my needs going to be even though we're guessing as we look very far out into the future it's a guess of where i think maybe interest rates and and prices will be
2: yeah and so you know hopefully people have developed some kind of financial plan some kind of here's where i think i'm going to be at next year you know i think a lot of your land-grant universities such as agmanager.info they have various kinds of budgeting tools for cow calf for stocker for feedlot uh, etc and so hopefully we're not just now thinking about this we should have been doing this and if you haven't done it in the past we'll start there's you know better no better time than thinking about that for next year to start planning for for some of these higher expenses Well, I think think nobody argues that a financial plan
0: is a good idea. It's just hard to figure out where that fits in my daily schedule, right? If I've got to do other things and and fixing fence, feeding the animals, doing harvest, other stuff, it's easy to put that off. And you're right. No better time to start than today.
3: Well, So, Dustin, I mean, thinking a little bit about maybe that planning and stuff, what about like forward contracting? Like if I can forward contract or purchase ahead, so like my winter feed is going to – I need to purchase my winter feed ahead or – or fertilizer for pastures next spring or whatever that will that help me plan things out
2: yes and actually we have seen that I mean in the past especially in the last year or two where people will buy let will say their fertilizer right before the end of the year uh, they'll lock in that price and they did that what a year two years ago before the Ukraine Russian conflict where prices went up people were pre-purchasing inputs uh, so that's that is common Uh, to do so. Again, if you've got the cash, if you've got the finances to do it, that's one way to kind of lock in at maybe a lower price. Uh, But it also guarantees, kind of back to Brad's point is, you know exactly what it's going to cost and you know exactly how much you have for that. But that's one way. Uh, You know, have you thought about insurance? I mean, you, you probably have some kind of insurance on the farm. Maybe it's price protection, maybe it's not, maybe it's just for the production side, but maybe look into other types of insurances whether it's for your forages, whether it's for the prices, uh, various inputs, outputs. uh, And so there's a lot of different things people can do to help with that, lower that risk or, or lower that uncertainty of prices. And if you're interested in
0: details on that, a few podcasts ago, we talked about that. We talked about risk protection. We talked about some of the drought insurance. We talked about some of the other things. And the, the interesting thing to me was some of those don't have to be purchased for timeframes of one year, right? Some of them were purchased for relatively short timeframes. So I'd advise you, if you're interested, go back. We, we dove into the details a little bit of that there. But Bob, as we think about putting these financial plans together, how, how do you make that happen on an individual operation when we have so many other things going all the time?
1: I think that honestly, that's we all have good intentions, and it's oftentimes hard to follow through. I, I think a few things that, that you almost have to do is schedule it, put it um, put it on your calendar, and just and like it, any other appointment, exactly right. And and I know a lot of farmers and ranchers don't necessarily run an appointment calendar, but but you do. You have a calendar in the kitchen, and you got to just say on Monday or on Tuesday we are going to. Sit down and work on this.
0: It's like that every six month dental appointment. That's true. Where you get, maybe you just send yourself a postcard. That's what I do at my dentist's office. I have to fill out a postcard when I'm sitting there. So you want to send yourself a postcard? Yeah. That's what I do at the dentist's office. I always put the wrong address.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I never have to go back. Yeah. But I think that's a good point is, you know, people don't like sitting at a computer, messing with finances, right? I get You'd rather be outside working. If I wanted a job
1: in town, or a desk job. I would have gotten a desk job. That's okay, so, now, job so
0: now you guys are arguing though that one one option is to find somebody that does enjoy that and work with them. Whether that's my I still have to meet with them or absolutely.
1: But I might outsource as much of that as I can do if it's not my strength. But
0: but regardless of how much you outsource, you still, yeah, you still have, have, to have to be the person that's going to drive the vision for here's where we want to go and right. okay, here's the challenges. is my operating note doesn't go as far, so what am i going to cut and what are the what are some of the areas that i can change on my expense side i may not be able to modify my income side much
2: yeah no i think again it's you you might not be able to but there are, you, that's where these budgets these financial planning you know looking the forecasting comes into play is you know i've got a plan i'm going to try to stick to it but then all of a sudden if okay wait interest rates are going up input prices are going up time to readjust so, we so, got to figure out yeah you know, I would be interested, and if you've got a good one, please
0: email us, but I would be interested to learn what software a cow-calf producer uses for managing their books. Are they using a commercial accounting software? Are they using a spreadsheet? Are you using some other form? And I'm thinking about the accounting, the income, the expenses, the ledger. How do you keep track of that? Send us an email at bci at ksu.edu because we'd like to learn more about how you're tracking those finances on your operation. Another another topic, Philip, that we wanted to talk about, and we were just talking about finances, one of the big expenses that most parts of the country have seen this year, and is one of the big drivers of expenses, is hay, winter feeding costs. And I know there's some folks that have tried some different things to try to decrease those winter feeding costs, and there's two things I'm balancing. One, on most operations, labor is in short supply, Also, resources are in short supply, so I don't want to spend any more than I have to. What are some of my options for winter grazing beyond the typical I'm going to buy hay and then I'm going to feed it a bale or two at a time?
3: So there's some different strategies that have been looked at in recent years, one being what they call swath grazing and another what they call bale grazing. So let's define those here to start with so we know what we're talking about. Swath grazing is the idea where We're going to go out to the hayfield or or whatever that is. Maybe it's some of the stuff that I've read and and seen is using uh, annuals. And so that then you're harvesting those in the fall. um, And so then they're ready to go for the winter or even a a short season, cool season annual that you could plant in late summer and then harvest it in late fall. But what you're going to do is you're going to, mow it and you're going to swath it or you know make a windrow out of it and you're going to make a pretty big windrow not like a windrow that you're going to bale, because you're not going to bale it and so what you're going to do is you're going to swath that and then you're going to move electric fence across that field a little bit at a time and let the cows graze that swath however much they need for that day or couple days you're going to need to move that fence quite frequently to avoid waste
0: What's, what's the advantage of doing that over – because because I've done strip grazing before. You put a hot wire, same, same concept. You put a hot wire, then you just continually move it a little bit at a time, and you let them graze off. Why, why would I swath it versus just leaving the forage stand and strip grazing?
3: A little different um, strategy as far as nutrition. So when we think about strip grazing and things like that, we're usually talking about fescue, and we're in the southeast part of the country – and we that fescue is still going to be growing through most of the late fall winter but swath grazing is a technique that's used more in the northern part of the country and into canada where you're not going to it gets colder quicker you're not going to have that continued growth uh, fescue is not a primary forage up there and you need to have something where the cows can get through the snow and get to it so if you get that's that's part of the point of making those swaths really big um, so that they're Cows can still get there. They can dig through them unless you got crusted over snow. That becomes a problem. But some other issues with that are that it does take a little bit of labor to move that electric fence, um, but you're not running diesel fuel and tractor with the expense of baling and hauling hay out there in bad weather, you know, deep snow and that kind of things. But then when you go to move the electric fence, frozen ground is pretty hard to put a post into. And so maybe you need to have your electric fence already planned out where all you're doing is taking down wires and not have to move posts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The more the more of that you can do, even if you can do several of them at a time, then taking down a wire doesn't take very long. But you're exactly right. Driving posts into those frozen ground can be a pain. But I, th- I think that's a, certainly an option. The other thing is you're talking, you're saying electric fence, and I'm going to be more specific, single hot wire. Widely spaced posts make it easy because worst case scenario, somebody gets out, they graze a little bit ahead of the group, and you and you take down the fence, and they come back. Well, one of the advantages
1: I see to these strategies versus uh, baling the hay and bringing it into a dry lot is is the manure management. In that, not my favorite job to clean out a lot and haul manure back out to the field and just letting the cows do that. So. I think that's one of the advantages. You know, the other advantages, and I think you guys have alluded to it, is I might have more waste in some ways, but not in others, but I don't have, I don't have the investment in diesel fuel. It, it's just a different type of labor, and maybe for a lot of people, that that uh, labor of just moving a hot wire is easier to accomplish than a lot of time on the tractor.
0: Well, the- Depends on your kids. It, it, sometimes correct. it's a it's a lot more work just to get them motivated to go out on a cold day and move the electric fence than it is just to go do it. <laughs> so, Speaking for a friend, yeah, um, yeah. All right, so back on topic, here. the um the
3: you know the cheapest source of hay or feed or whatever is one that the cows harvest themselves. We can get the middleman out of the way as much as possible, and that's kind of where these swath grazing and bale grazing ideas come in. Is we're getting some of the middleman out of the way, but we do have to do a little bit of harvesting to try to maintain the nutritional value. If we let it just desiccate out there in the field and, and go dormant, we lose a lot of the nutritional value. And so by
0: swathing it, we are saving some nutritional value. So that's, that's kind of a gradient, right? Strip grazing. I'm leaving it there. I don't have to do anything, but I'm going to have less nutritional value than as you go up, depending on what forage I'm using. And, and if that's the case, I can save some of that. And, Bob, I'll, I'll go one step beyond your manure management is it's total nutrient management, right? All the nutrients that are on that pasture stay on that pasture, right? I'm not moving hay from one pasture to another to where I'm moving actually nutrients yeah, back and exactly. forth. And there, I'm keeping everything right where, right where we put it. Well, another thing that, that I took from what
1: Philip said is there are some geographic differences. And those geographic differences are based somewhat on the predominant forage type as well as weather and forage growth. You know, when, when does forage become dormant? In that one of the great things about beef production in the United States is we've got cows in every state. And there's advantages or there's some things that work maybe in the southeast or the north central that wouldn't necessarily work in another region because of those factors. But I still might be able to learn some things and, and get some ideas from another region. But it may not work exactly the same where I live.
0: that's exactly right and you may have to try it and experiment with it a little bit I know there are some folks around here who have been experimenting with bale grazing and love it and and it is you have to adjust your mindset though this doesn't look the same as I've got one area where I'm feeding the cows all winter and it doesn't feel the same because I have to adjust my labor constraints so excellent discussion on those and if you're interested in any of those you can certainly find some more information on, on different extension websites there, are, there may also be producers in your area that are doing some of those things. As Dustin mentioned, there's some great spreadsheets if you're interested in financial planning at agmanager.info, and you can certainly, we'd be look forward to your emails on either questions or conversations, or what do you, you, you use for your financial planning on your operation? You can email us at bci at ksu.edu.